You're listening to the Northwestern Campus Ministry Podcast from Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa. Northwestern Campus Ministry exists to send students out as those rooted, built up, and established in Christ for God's glory and for the sake of the world. Thanks for listening and enjoy this recent message from our Christian Formation Program. You guys can have a seat, and as you do, would you please join me in welcoming one of our Professor of Biblical and Theological Studies, Dr. Michael Andres. Wow, good morning all. Uh, Hey, would you permit me just a moment of self-indulgence? Just kind of following from my colleague, John Vonderbrugge, I I thought I'd just kind of share with you a couple of people that others thought I looked like. Because I know you really wanted to know, yeah. So uh, I'll start with one. These are, these are, this is true. It's not funny either, okay? So, no. Uh, So the first person is in my youth, in my teen years, that uh, people thought I looked like was, uh, see if I can get, am I going to get, oh, there we go was this guy. Uh, you probably don't even know who Billy Idol is, but uh, I had very blonde hair, very almost white, you could say, and maybe that was more aspirational, which is kind of sad, but uh, that's what uh, some people thought I looked like. Later in life, like more recently, I kid you not, there is uh, someone that people have mistaken me for numerous times, numerous times. You want to guess who it is? Uh, Bruce Willis. <laughs> now, I kind of think it's, it's the connection between the celebrity super, uh, kind of action hero motif is what they're making the connection. I don't think it has anything to do with the uh, aging, uh, middle-aged, bald guy. <laughs> but if you really want to know what I look like or who I resemble... You really should look at this. You see, if you really want to know who I am, you need to look at my wife Joan and my family because it's really in community, in this kind of mutual love relationship that really kind of defines who we are. We find our identity. We find who we look like, our tribe. And I want to talk about that this morning. I, maybe kind of surprising. I'm going to talk about the Trinity. I'm going to try to spice it up a little bit. Uh, move it beyond just being a doctrine to something that perhaps means something to you. I'd like to draw from the Apostles' Creed. We're doing a series on the Apostles' Creed. And talk about God and love. Namely between the Trinity and love. And I'm going to demonstrate this with a dance. But you're going to have to wait till later for that, okay? So it all starts with the Trinity. It all starts with the Trinity. And I'm not going to uh, go into great detail uh, about uh, the Trinity uh, uh, in many ways, but you can see it here in the Apostles' Creed um, uh, right there. It doesn't use the word Trinity, but the, the idea of Trinity is structured, the whole creed, the whole Apostles' Creed is structured around the concept of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The triune God undergirds all the other creedal affirmations of the creed that are made. 
So let me take a moment, though, before we start walking into the, to the Trinity, or the doctrine of the Trinity, and just acknowledge our limitations here. There's actually a, a legend that the, uh, excuse me, the, the uh, uh, theologian Augustine was walking along the beach one day considering the doctrine of the Trinity, and he happened upon a young boy who had, was digging a, a hole in the sand in the beach, and he was running back and forth to the, to the ocean with a little cup and trying to fill up the hole. And Augustine asked him what he was doing, and the little boy said, I'm going to fill up this hole with the whole ocean. To which Augustine said... <laughs> That's silly. You can't fit all of the ocean in that little hole to which the boy told him, and neither can you understand the Trinity in that little mind of yours. <laughs> Apparently, he looked away and the boy was gone or something. So, we are wandering into a mystery here. It's not like we've got God all figured out. But there are what I will call hints and clues in Scripture uh, to the Trinity. Uh, I'm not going to go into these much, but uh, in the Old Testament, which uh, supremely affirms the oneness of God, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. But at the same time, there are some statements that maybe hint at or allude to the possibility of a plurality in God. Like when God creates humanity, he says, let us create humankind in our image, in our likeness. Yeah. But it's when we get to the New Testament that things uh, get even more interesting. We still have this affirmation of this one God uh, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. But then we also get times when Jesus, for instance, seems to be affirmed as divine, such as when uh, Thomas, doubting Thomas, says, my Lord and my God to him. And then we have these formulaic expressions of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like in the Great Commission that we're to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the early church, our Christian family, tried to come to grips with how to express this, how to describe this relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they come up, they came up with this, that God is one in essence and three in person. One in essence, three in person. So, and they use the word trinity eventually. This tri-unity, right, is a term designating this one God and three persons. And although it's not a biblical term, the trinity has been found a convenient designation for the one God self-revealed in Scripture as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It signifies that within the one essence of the Godhead, we have to distinguish three persons who are neither three gods on one side. We're not saying there's three gods, right? We're still uh, a monotheist, if you will. But neither is it three parts or three modes of God. And the other side is three persons who are all co-equal, co-equally, and co-eternally God. But what I really want to talk to you about this morning is perichoresis. Yeah. Uh, so the church tried to talk about this relationship between these persons and the Trinity. And they, they described this in this wonderful word, I hope you remember it today, perichoresis. And what perichoresis means is this mutual interpenetration or interweaving of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is, the Father 
is so in love with the Son, who is also so in love with the Spirit, who is so in love with the Father, and that while it's one essence, these three persons are so intertwined, and it's so dynamic, the interrelationship between them, that they are still three distinct persons, and yet one in essence. That's what perichoresis means. It's the, it's the uh, um, penetration and indwelling of the three persons reciprocally, in one another. Now, especially in the Greek conception or the Eastern conception of the Trinity, there's an emphasis on this mutual penetration of the three persons that, bring, that are bringing out the unity of the divine essence. So, God is a community. God is not just a singular and monadic, it's not just turned in on God's self. God is a community of persons. God is deeply personal. And between these persons, there is a self-giving love. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father eternally, forever. Uh, Richard of St. Victor, who's a medieval theologian, explores the Trinity based on this understanding of the nature of of interpersonal relationships and interpersonal love in which God is viewed as a community of persons and he conceives of the Holy Spirit. I love this. The Holy Spirit is, is not impersonal. It's not the love between the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is a person and Richard of St. Victor calls him the Holy Spirit, the co-loved. Each of the persons of the Trinity are co-loved It's in the love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that God is continually pouring himself out mutually and freely interwoven with each person co-equally. It's like a dance. But while in this dance, the lovers are gazing upon each other, they turn out. And this dance is a dance that moves outward. It's generative it looks beyond itself and wants to share the love and invite others into the dance. Note that in the Apostles' Creed, we have a father and a son. Now, fathers beget sons, and sons come from fathers, right? It's the way things work. Uh, children come from parents, right? Now, we need to be careful here uh, that God the Father is not exactly like a human father in all respects. But in this sense that fathers are generative, that beget other, there's, there's this creation that takes place. Uh, the early church tried to grapple with this idea that Jesus, that, that the Son is both uh, eternal, but also comes from the Father, and so they came up with the language that he's eternally generated or eternally begotten. So he's, he comes from the Father forever and ever, right? Note that also in the Creed, the first thing that's mentioned after God the Father Almighty, we believe in God the Father Almighty, is that God creates. God creates the heaven and the earth. Note also that in the creed that when we, it speaks of the Son and the Holy Spirit, that the, the power of the Holy Spirit to conceive, to create new life, to create communion, the communion of saints. There is so much love 
between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So much abundance that it bubbles up and wants to be shared. It's why God creates. God doesn't create out of necessity. He doesn't have to. He doesn't need more relationship. He creates out of love that wants to be shared. It is a self-giving love, not an ingrown love. So, for example, some of you, have you ever had like a, a friend of yours, um, a buddy, and, and they began to date someone, right? They began to, they got a boyfriend or girlfriend, and like, you never saw them again. And those two people, they just loved each other so much, they're all up into each other, and they just spent all their time together, whatever, but... It was almost like they were just themselves, you know, it's just all turned in on themselves. This, this is a different kind of love. This is the kind of love that wants to open up and say, we want to share this. We want to, we want to be, we, we want to go and serve. We want to go and, 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 and uh, um, be open to the community as well. We, we have what we share just with each other, but we also want this to be generative love, a love that is turned outwards. God's love is generous. It is a gift. God so loved that he gave. God's love, I would say, is missional. God is the first missionary, if you will say. And it's because it starts with love. God so loved, he gave, he, and he sends his son. So the father sends the son, so we are sent. So... Uh, Here's our text for today. If you're wondering, where is this in Scripture or whatever? I chose this great love passage here. Let me read it. And I wonder as I read it if you can kind of see both the, the love part of it. That'll become And, and the, the way that God is described. And it's kind of, you're going to kind of see this kind of bringing together of the love of God and the nature, and the nature of love. Beloved, this is 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, uh, excuse me, verses uh, six to, uh, 7 to 16. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God so loved, loved us so much, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. Did you hear it? The, the, the ringtone of love. That First of all, God is love. Now, love is not God. God is love. And God's very nature is love. And then when it goes on to describe that God, did you hear it? Over and over, not only does it say God, 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 but it starts talking about the Son. And sons have Father. And it talks about the Father and the Spirit and the Son. And this Trinitarian love. 
that starts in the very nature of God and then wants to pour itself out and notice that we are to love the way that God loves. So there it is. God, the Holy Trinity, who by his very nature, because of that Trinitarian nature, is love. This agape, divine kind of love. And so we have this Celtic, I have this Celtic symbol for the Trinity uh, welded into the shape also of a cross. Let me finish up here. So what does this mean for us? What in the world does this doctrine of the Trinity mean? Well, I want to just say a couple things real quick, and then we'll get to the dance. One is it means that we can love God. Notice uh, the John Donne here. John Donne, I love John Donne. It's one of his holy sonnets. Uh, here he sings. He says, because God is Trinity, I can love him and be loved by him because he's a personal God. Batter my heart, three-person God. For you as yet but knock, breathe, shine, and seek to men that I may rise and stand or throw me and bend your force to break, blow, burn, and make me new. Take me to you, imprison me, for I accept you, enthrall me. Never shall be free, nor ever chaste, except you ravish me. Do you have a passionate love for God? God is inviting you into the dance. I want you also just to notice real quick that we are made in the image of God. So we are communal by nature as well, right? We are uh, and made for one another. And if you go back to the, the passage of 1 John 4, we see that we ought also to love one another. And we ought to, that, that God's love, this triune love is perfected in one another. And so I'm going to dance with you. I promised you a dance. It all starts, though, with the Trinity. Hmm? We need to start with the Trinity. God is one, but he's three. Continually pouring himself out, pouring himself into himself. His whole life is grace, abundance, gift. And we know that God makes man in his image. Like God, he is creative. Like God, he has the power of intelligence and reason. In his very being, he is abundant, he overflows. And like God, his nature is to pour himself out in love, to give himself away to another. So God made man, male and female. He made them, in their very nature, made for another.
here's where things get really interesting. As an individual, man is pointed outside himself. But this partnership of marriage, it too is to pour itself out. It is pointed outside itself. It's made for others. You should see a pattern emerging. Wait, 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 wait. Where do we find a family like that in the Bible? Well, there's one. I mean, think about the Holy Family. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary, explains God's plan for the life of the world, and it's a mystery, but she says, let it be. She says, yes. And, you know, Joseph, too. Angel comes to him, and he says yes. He could have divorced her. He was within his contractual rights, but... He says yes, even though it's, it's a mystery. By saying yes, they agree to participate in God's plan. God so loved the world that he gave. Why? When we say yes to marriage, we are saying yes to the life of the world because we're saying yes to children, and yes to family, and yes to the person we're marrying. It's all linked. Like Mary and Joseph, we say yes to the mystery ahead, because in that mystery is an abundance, new life. This is why we can say that family is the first and foundational yes of society. Ultimately, saying yes to marriage is about living a life of offering. Marriage is a yes to your beloved, and you and your beloved saying yes to your family, and your family saying yes to the world. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Go in peace.